So it's my honor and privilege to present to you a woman of God who loves the Bible uh, like I want to love the Bible. Come right on, Sherry. Thank you, Pastor Allen. Thank you, everyone, for your encouragement today. Uh, it's been quite a walk. Pastor Allen asked me to preach uh, for Mother's Day nine months ago, and I laughed at him. <laughs> I said, oh, that, thanks for thinking of me. I'll get back to you on that. Um, and as I prayed about it, you know, God put it in my heart more and more, and I, two months later, I finally said, okay, fine, I'll do it. <laughs> um, but it's, it's been a road, and it's been a journey that God has really opened up my eyes and opened up my heart uh, to share with you guys today. So happy Mother's Day to all the lovely ladies. Um, we wouldn't be here without you. Um, <laughs> So what I wanted to speak on today really honestly has absolutely nothing to do with Mother's Day. So you'll have to bear with me a little bit, but this is what God has given me, so I'm excited to kind of dive in. All right. So what are we here for? My husband asked, says to me that I ask questions, and they're not really questions. They're more like statements. <laughs> so I'm going to be asking a lot of questions today. <laughs> um, so what are you here for? Colossians 1.16 says, For by him all things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all, all things were created through him and for him. Ephesians 1.4-5 says, Just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us to adoption as sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. John 1.12 says, As many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name. Are you guys sensing a theme here? <laughs> Romans 8.29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that we, he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And John 15.16 says, You did not choose me, but I chose you, and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give to you. So again, what are you here for? We're here for God. We were created for God. We are created for God's good pleasure. We are created for good works, to become children of God, to be conformed to the image of his son, to go and to bear fruit. God made you. He desired you. He adopted you. He wants you here. He wants you to be part of his family, to be heirs in the kingdom. So for the Christians, I ask, who are you? Paul calls us saints, which means set apart, consecrated, and holy ones. I don't know about you guys, but I don't ever feel holy. But 
we are the righteousness of Christ. We are God's holy ones. What do you call yourself? You may say, I'm a mom, I'm a dad, I'm a daughter, I'm a son. You may list your accomplishments, but that's not who you are. We're spiritual beings. Romans 8.26 says, The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Ephesians 2.10 says, We are his workmanship. We're created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand. 1 Thessalonians 5.23 says, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of it, blameless. That's who we are to be. When it says in Ephesians that we are his workmanship, the word workmanship is the Greek word poema. And it means skillfully, cleverly, and artfully crafted. That's you. You are skillfully, cleverly, and artfully crafted by God. It's where we get the word poet. We are God's poetry. If you look at yourself in the mirror and you say, I don't like this, I don't like that, I wish I had this, I wish I had that, I think women, we do that too much. (laughs) But we're God's creation. He made us the way that we are for a reason, for a purpose, for his purpose. Not for our own purpose, but for God's purpose. When God created the universe, every plant, every animal, all of creation, all the beautiful waterfalls that we see, butterflies, fishes, rainbows, he said, this is good. He looked at it. He said, this is good. But when he created mankind, he said, you are very good. He didn't make a mistake when he created you. He created you with purpose. Second Corinthians 5, 20 and 21 says, Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were pleading... Pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Revelations 1, 5, and 6 says, To him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and has made us kings and priests to his God and Father. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Kings and priests, guys. Sorry, that's my California coming out. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen. (laughs) That's what God created us. I mean, I, I want you to see it. I want you to feel it. I want you to know what the scriptures are saying. I'm not trying to give you my opinion. I am trying to give you the word of God, which is true and living and breathing. 
2 Corinthians 2, 14 and 15 says, Now thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph in Christ and through us diffuses the fragrance of his knowledge in every place. For we are to God the fragrance of Christ among those who are being saved and those who are perishing. We are the fragrance of Christ. I like candles. I love candles. I love smelly things. I love... I love things that smell good. I shouldn't say smelly things. I've got teenagers. Um, <laughs> but I do, I do love my candles. Reflect on your own life. Are you the kind of fragrance to God that he would want? I told you I was going to ask questions. <laughs> Colossians 3.12 says, Therefore, as the elect of God holy and dearly loved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering. The word elect is the Greek word eklektos. It means chosen, handpicked, and selected for a purpose. That's you. You are hand-chosen by God to be holy to be kind, to be humble, to be meek, to have long-suffering. I'm not trying to say that there's a bunch of rules that you need to follow. It all begins with love and ends with love. It begins in Christ Jesus and the love that he gave to us, the love of him to sacrifice his entire life, and the love that we are to have for everyone else. Ephesians 2, 19 through 22 says, Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone, in whom the whole building being fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you are also being built together for a dwelling place of, the God, of God in the Spirit. You are a dwelling place of the Lord God Almighty who created heaven and earth. You are a dwelling place for that. You are his dwelling place, his holy dwelling place. When Jesus said, you will tear down this temple and I will rebuild it. The Jewish leaders at the time knew how long it took for that real temple, the temple of you know, the physical, actual temple that they worship God in to be built. Solomon's temple took a long time to be built. It wasn't built in just a day, but it was very ornate. It was beautiful. Even to the cloth that separated the most holy of holies place, it was every fabric was done with the best seamstress, the best of the best of the best, the best wood carvers, worked on it. The best metal workers worked on it. It was the finest, most beautiful building in all of Israel. That's where God dwelt. But now he dwells in you. If you are in Christ, he dwells in you. What does your temple look like? The Dakes Study Bible puts it this way. The Greek word used for dwelling place in this verse 
is the word, forgive me, katiokaterion, <laughs> which simply refers to God's manifestation of his own nature and attributes through multiplied outlets. Each saint becomes a reflection of God and acts for him as God would act in the world if he were visibly present. God dwells in men. When you don't fully know the love that God has for you, it's easy to get stuck in the rut of unforgiveness, bitterness, resentment, jealousy, judgment, which brings you down a scary and painful path that no one wants you to go down, that God doesn't want you to go down. So who are we in Christ? We're God's workmanship. We're ambassadors. We're the righteousness of God. We're kings and priests. We're a fragrance of Christ to God. We are the elect, the chosen ones. We're a dwelling place of the spirit of God. When you see that you are a dwelling place of the Lord God Almighty, a king and priest, a beautiful aroma, the fragrance of Christ, a masterpiece, you are consecrated, set apart, called out. When you finally see your purpose, freedom takes place. Romans 8, 1 and 2 says, There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. So if you're looking at your life and you say, but I've done this, but I've done that, I'm not worthy to be used by God. I've made this mistakes. I am making these mistakes. Repent and turn back to God. Amen. When you repent, and you turn back to God, there is no condemnation. There's no more of that looking back and saying, woe is me, I did this. I made this mistake. We've all made mistakes. None of us are worthy. None of us deserve salvation. But God has freely given it to us. Amen. He said, believe in me, and you will be children of the God most high. The law of the spirit is freedom. A righteous man may fall seven times, but he gets back up. You are the righteousness of Christ, therefore you get back up. Amen. When you make a mistake, you turn back to God. You don't wallow in it. You're the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do they light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a lampstand, and it gives light to all who are in the house. So let your light shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. You are a light. You have a mission. You have a purpose. Amen. You're ambassadors of Christ. Now be ambassadors of Christ. But maybe you're sitting there saying, I'm too scared. I don't like to pray in front of people. I hate public speaking. 
you know me. <laughs> Someone does. <laughs> but you're called with a purpose. And your purpose isn't to sit on Sunday mornings, warming up a chair, and doing absolutely nothing different the rest of the week. So I've got an example for you of being immediately obedient. If you want to turn here, this is, this is going to be my long thing that I read. Well, actually, I've got a lot. Sorry. I just, I just wrote the whole Bible on this. I don't know. <laughs> Acts 8, 26 through 38, we're going to read about the story of Philip, one of uh, Christ's disciples. And he was immediately obedient despite the inconvenience. When you're there, say amen. amen. Okay. <laughs> Acts 8.26 says, Now an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go, go towards the south along the road, which it, what goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is desert. So he arose and he went. So I kind of Googled it. Um, 50 miles away is where he was told to go. Imagine walking from here to the DFW airport. That's 50 miles, guys. So when God said, go over here, and he did it, he didn't, oh, that doesn't make sense. I'm sure somebody's closer to me. He went immediately. He did the inconvenient thing without knowing the next step. He didn't say, well, what, what do I do when I get there? He just did it. He stepped out in faith that God would do exactly what God was, said he was going to do. So he arose and went. And behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, went under Candace, the queen of Ethiopians, who had charge of all her treasury, had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning. Philip was coming from Jerusalem. So when God calls Philip to go down to Gaza, they, they were already in the same place at the same time. But God waited until he got to Gaza to say to Philip, hey, by the way, I want you to go over here. Seems kind of inconvenient. Sitting in his chariot, he was reading Isaiah the prophet, and the spirit said to Philip, go near and overtake his chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading the prophet Isaiah. He was reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. Um, I'm sure you know that there, there were not chapters back then, but just for your reference, he was reading Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. And so then Philip asked him, do you understand what you are reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he asked Philip to come up and sit with him. The place in the scriptures which he read was this. He was led as sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opened not his mouth. In his humiliation, his justice was taken away. And who will declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth. 
So the eunuch answered Philip and said, I ask of you, whom does the prophet say this of, himself or some other man? Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning at the scriptures, preached Jesus to him. Now as they went down the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? Then Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. So he commanded the chariot to stand still, and both Philip and the eunuch went down to the water, and he baptized him. That was immediate obedience. He heard the word of God. He believed the word of God. He understood it because the Holy Spirit revealed it to him, and he said, now I want to be baptized immediately. He didn't wait till he got back. He didn't wait till he got home. He didn't wait till he could gather his friends and family. He did that immediately. We mistakenly look through the lens of human logic before we obey. I'll say that again. We mistakenly look through the lens of human logic before we obey. We have three examples. Actually, I have a lot of examples. I'm sorry. Um, We have three examples right now of two people to follow their example and one person not to follow their example. So we have Abraham. Abraham is a man of God. And we all know Abraham as a man of God. Abraham's faith and obedience pleased God. It says, now it came to pass that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Then he said, take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and Isaac, his son. He split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The lad and I will go yonder and worship, and we will come back. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took the fire in his hand and the knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, my father? He said, here I am, my son. And he said, look, the fire and the wood? Where's the lamb for the burnt offering? (laughs) And Abraham said, my son, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering. And the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told them, and Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order. He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God. 
and you would not withhold your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there, behold, a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. It is said, to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, blessing I will bless you, multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars in the heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. Immediate obedience. He obeyed when it looked like the worst thing. He waited so many years for his son. He trusted in God for his son. And yet when God said to sacrifice his son, he still trusted that something was going to happen that his son was going to return down from the mountain with him. He trusted God completely, implicitly. Next we have Joseph and Mary. Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. After his mother Mary was betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found with child of the Holy Spirit. Then Joseph, her husband, being a just man and not wanting to make her a public example, was minded to put her away secretly. But while he thought about these things, behold, the, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. And she will bring forth a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. So all this was done, that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the Lord through the prophet, saying, Behold, the virgin shall be with child, and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Then Joseph, being aroused from his sleep, did as the angel commanded him and took to him his wife. He did not know her until she brought forth her firstborn son, and he called his name Jesus. Joseph didn't wait to have a wedding prepared. He didn't wait till it was convenient. He didn't wait until the right time. He was immediately obedient. Okay, so now on to Moses. I think we've seen two great examples, right? Immediate obedience. <laughs> Moses, in many ways, is an example to follow. But in this instance, he failed. <laughs> so Moses is talking to the burning bush. God is speaking to him through this burning bush. He has turned aside and said, what? Why is this? Bush burning, but it's not actually burning up. What's going on here? He comes near the bush. God says, remove your sandals, for this is holy ground. So he removes the sandals, and the Lord begins to speak to him. And the Lord begins to tell him that he's going to go, and he's going to speak to Pharaoh, and he's going to lead 
God's people out of Egypt, out of slavery. But Moses' response is uh, less than perfect. So Moses says, what am I supposed to use? What do I do? You know. So the Lord said to him, well, what's in your hand? A rod? He said, cast it on the ground. So he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from it. I think you all would too. <laughs> then the Lord, well, maybe not. You're in Texas. I don't know. Then the, Lord, then the Lord said to Moses, reach out your hand and take it by the tail. And he reached out his hand and caught it, and it became a rod in his hand. That, it, that they may believe that the Lord God of their fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, has appeared to you. Furthermore, the Lord said, now put your hand in your bosom. And he put his hand in his bosom. And when he took it out, behold, his hand was leprous like snow. And he said, put your hand back in your bosom again. So he put his hand in his bosom again and drew it out of his bosom. And behold, it was restored like his other flesh. Then it will believe. Then it will be, if they do not believe you, nor heed the message of the first sign, that they may believe the message of the latter sign. And, sh and it shall be, if they do not believe even these two signs, or listen to my voice, that you shall take water from the river and pour it on the dry, dry ground, and the water which you take from the river will become blood on the dry ground. Then Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I'm not eloquent. Neither before you nor since have spoken to your servant. I'm slow of speech. I'm slow of tongue. The Lord said, who's made man's mouth? Who makes the mute? Who makes the deaf, the seeing, the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now, therefore, go, and I will be your mouth, and I will teach you what to say. <laughs> but he said, oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whomever else you may send. So the Lord was kindled against Moses. That's not a good thing. That's not a good place. You don't want to be there. <laughs> and he said, is not Aaron the Levite your brother? I know he can speak well. And look, he's coming out to meet you. When he sees you, he'll be glad in his heart. Now go speak with him and put the words in his mouth. And I'll be your mouth with his mouth. And I will teach you what you shall do. And so he shall be your spokesman to the people. And he himself shall be as a mouth for you. And you shall be to him as God. And you shall take this rod in your hand with which you shall do the signs. So Moses so upset God that if you look in the next couple verses, God was going to take Moses out. You don't argue with God and you don't make excuses with God. The fear of the Lord that Abraham had when he went to sacrifice his son is the kind of fear that we need to have. Obedience without questioning or making excuses. So then it came to pass on the way at the encampment that the Lord met Moses and or met him, it says him, and sought to kill him. Then this is in verse 24. Then Zipporah took a sharp stone and cut off the foreskin of her son and cast it at Moses' feet and said, Surely you are a husband of blood to me. 
So he let him go. Then she said, you're a husband of blood because of the circumcision. We see here that Zipporah's obedience is what saved the life of Moses. Some scholars will say that it wasn't Moses. It was um, Moses' son that the Lord sought to kill. I don't know. I'm not smart enough to figure that out. But either way, Zipporah's obedience is what saved the life. Her obedience to the covenant that Abraham had with God, her obedience to what Abraham's immediate obedience was. Without Abraham's immediate obedience, we wouldn't have the covenant that we have. It's all because of people's immediate obedience to God. So I have three more examples. Three of, two of which to do and one not. We have Paul. Paul firmly believed what he believed before he was changed, before he was revealed Christ, before he had the understanding. He believed the Torah. He believed what the Jewish leaders of Jesus' time believed so much that he was willing to kill for it. He was willing to murder for his beliefs. It is a very strong conviction. And he did this thinking that he was right with God, thinking that that's what God wanted of him. Complete ignorance. He firmly believed it. But when Christ showed up, he completely changed what he thought was so right. He didn't say, well, I'm going to hold on to this little thing over here. He completely changed course from I mean, and can you imagine when he knocks on the door of the people that he had been persecuting? Hey, I know I was going to kill you last week, but (laughs) I'm not now. (laughs) So he completely changed. Noah was called to build a giant boat. And that's really weird when (laughs) it hasn't rained We don't even know what rain is. It's a little odd. Um, And you want it to be how big? And I've got to provide for my family, God. And, you know, I can't do this by myself. But he did it. And he built a massive boat. And God wanted all the animals to be on that boat. He didn't say, so what do you, do you want me to like start collecting them now? Or, like, how do, you, how do you, you know, he just had faith. He had faith that God would do what God said he would do. He had faith to do what God said to do. And then we have Jonah. <laughs> so, Jonah is not known for being a prophet in the best light. He is known for his bitterness He is known for his disobedience. He is known for running away from God. God told Jonah to go preach to his enemies, to Jonah's enemies, and preach the love of God. 
and tell them to turn from their sin. And um, Jonah said, nope, not going to do it. Send someone else. And God said, no, I'm sending you. I'm sure someone else could have done it. But God wanted to work in Jonah's heart. And so Jonah gets on a boat and tries to run away. But, you know, if I've learned anything this last couple of weeks is that animals are obedient to God. <laughs> More than humans. Um, I, we've had a, our dogs run away and we had our cat take off. And I am not even kidding. Within hours of my husband and I praying for our animals to come back, guess what? They came back. They listened to God. We take our time sometimes and we forget. So how would you like your legacy to be that of running away when God has told you to do something? God still used Jonah and still turned the heart of those people back to him. He changed an entire race, I don't know, of people. Even though Jonah was trying to get out of it. He's going to use you. You think you can run from God? You can't. God's going to use you to be his mouthpiece, to be his ambassadors. That's what you're called to do. That's what you're supposed to do. What else does God tell us to do? Isaiah 41.10. Fear not. I am with you. Be not dismayed. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Be strong and of good courage. Do not fear nor be afraid of them. For the Lord your God, he is the one who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. It's not about you. God is in control. John 14, 27, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can boldly say, the Lord is my helper I will not fear. What can man do to me? Is this your attitude? Is this how we go about our day? I will not fear. I am not afraid. The Lord is my helper. He is holding me up. He is strengthening me. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you? Be strong, of good courage, do not be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. So, but why shouldn't I be afraid? Psalms 23, 4 
says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 2 Thessalonians 3.3, but the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. Psalms 18, 1 and 2. I will love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God, my strength, in whom I trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. The word horn is used for mighty. He is our mighty salvation. Psalms 84, 11. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. I have another one for you. Isaiah 40, 28 and 29. Have you not known? Have you not heard? The everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, neither faints nor is weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the weak. And to those who have no might, he increases their strength. God uses the weak things of this world. God uses the base things of this world. He uses the foolish to teach the wise, to proclaim his name, to be ambassadors. God, our Father, is always with us, always faithful. He is our strength, our fortress, our deliverer, our shield. And he is not weary, and he does not give, give up. So what is holding you back? If it's fear, I just showed you all the logical reasons why you should not be afraid. You have nothing to fear. Nothing. Freedom from fear is freedom to take action. So get out of your comfort zone. Step out in obedience. Step out in faith. Now is the time to preach the love and sacrifice of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Now is the time to repent from your sins. Now is the time to preach the baptism of water and of fire. And now is the time to preach the soon return of Jesus Christ. Now is the time to teach your kids to be a light in the world. It's not the time for complacency. We have a lot of people that come to church on Sunday mornings and don't do anything else. 20% of the people inside of the church do 80% of the work. There are food banks in Fort Worth that have no volunteers on Sunday mornings because everybody's in church. I'm not trying to get down on you guys or beat you over the head, 
but we need to be out there. Is Jesus really, truly Lord of your life? Have you truly given up everything to follow him? Are you willing to do what the disciples did? To be crucified the way Jesus was. To be burned at the stake. To be hung upside down. To be stoned. Are you willing to do that? Listen to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to you today. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all of your filthiness and from all of your idols. I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. So Mark 10, there was a, Jesus is walking along and I'm going to have to just kind of go off of my memory because I didn't, I mean, well, I do have a Bible here. I guess I could do that. Look at that. All right, let's go to Mark 10. I hope you guys had a good breakfast. (laughs) All right. Mark 10, verse 17. Now, as he was going out on the road, Jesus, one came running, knelt before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what shall I do that I may inherit eternal life? So Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, that is God. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And he answered and said to him, Teacher, all these things I have kept from my youth. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross, and follow me. But he was sad at this word and went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So what are you holding back? Jesus paid the price of our deliberate sins. When we do it over and over again, Jesus still paid the price for that. He didn't okay it, but he paid the price for it. He paid for your freedom, for the right to be children of God, to be kings and priests. And now, now is the time to take the kingdom back by force. We're not called to be passive. Now is the time to repent, turn back to God. Now is the time for healing. 
to finally take place again in the church. Is anything too hard for God? I'll answer that question. No, it's not. (laughs) Nothing is impossible. All things are possible through him, through Christ who gives us strength. All things. Do you believe that? All things, guys. Every situation you may be going through right now, you can have peace in all of it. Nothing is too hard for the Lord. Second Corinthians three seventeen through four one says, Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty, there is freedom. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Therefore, since we have this ministry, we have received mercy and we do not lose heart. The glory of the Lord is upon you. It's within you. Nothing, nothing, nothing is too hard for God. Think about what he's done for you. Not only did he give up his only son for you because he loves you so much, think of what he's done in your life. He didn't have to do anything else. He didn't, but he did because he loves you. He didn't have to clothe you. He didn't have to feed you, but he did because he loves you. You're more beautiful than any birds of the field, any flowers. You're more beautiful. You are a fragrance to him. You are beautiful to him. Walk in the righteousness of Christ. Not in complacency. It's not time to say, you do what you do, you believe what you believe, I'll believe what I believe. Now is not the time for that. If you love them, you will do everything you can to bring their soul from the brinks of hell and bring them back. If you truly love the Lord, you will be his disciple. That means getting out there. That means speaking the truth in love. I'm not, don't hit people over the head. (laughs) Don't do that. Don't tell people they're awful and they'll never amount to anything. No. God loves us. And I grew up in the church, so for me, that was um, something I was used to hearing. So you get kind of complacent about it. You get kind of worn out from hearing that. Okay, yeah, I know. God loves me. Jesus loves you. This I know. Okay, yeah, I've heard that all my life growing up. Um, But when you truly understand the sacrifice that he gave, when you put it into perspective as you're standing face to face with someone who says, I love you enough to die for you right now. If I had a friend that was being beaten and bruised for something that I did, 
Could you sit there and go, yeah, I know, she loves me. <laughs> no. Sorry, I was looking at you, Heather. <laughs> you, your heart would be torn. She, they don't deserve this. They don't deserve to take on my sin. I deserve to be there. I deserve to be beaten for this. Not my friend. Don't take my friend. My friend didn't do anything. Jesus did that for you. He is right there in front of you. When you don't understand the love that he has for you, where can you go? You need to see how much he loves you, understand how much he loves you, and follow him. He is everything. He is life. Are you willing to take up your cross for him? Because he said his burden is light. Stop carrying your own burden. Stop thinking that you have to figure it out on, on your own strength because guess what? We're weak. We can't. We fail. We have anxiety. We have depression. We have anger issues, pride, resentment. We fail. We fail him daily. But God... God never fails. When we put our trust in him and we believe in him and we put our faith in him, what stops you? What's stopping you? Are you willing to die for him? But the harder question is, are you willing to live for him? That is not as hard as we make it out to be. What makes it hard is our lack of faith. It's our fear. It's our sin. That's what makes following the Lord hard. Give it to God. He will cleanse you. And he will uphold you with his righteous right hand. This is my left hand. Right hand. <laughs> I want so badly to see freedom in this church. I want to see people healed, freed, and living for Christ the way that they know they should. We all need prayer, all of us. Everyone has gone through pain, disappointments, rejection, and has had issues in their marriage, issues with their children, issues with their health. But when the body of Christ comes together, and we lay hands on each other, and we pray for each other with faith, God takes that burden. He takes that yoke of sin and slavery off of you. And he says, walk in my way. 
walk in my truth. My truth will set you free. And where there is freedom, the Spirit of the Lord is. I would like the worship team to come up. And as they do, I want to read to you a psalm, Psalms 96. It says, Oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim the good news of his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the nations, his wonder among all people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are idols, but the Lord has made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give to the Lord, O families of the people, give to the Lord glory and strength. Give to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into the courts. Oh, worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before him, all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. The world also is firmly established and it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and the earth be glad. Let the sea roar and all its fullness. Let the field be joyful and all that is in in it. Then all the trees of the woods will rejoice before the Lord, for he is coming. He is coming to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with his truth. The Lord is our Savior. He is our peace. I want freedom for every person in this place today. And that comes from God. In the name of Jesus, freedom.